0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bring, bring it fast.
1: Bring it till the base. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at eplroundtable at gmail.com.
0: Hi, guys, I'm Sam, a Palace fan. You can find me at sam double carp on Twitter or at the Eagles Beak, the Crystal Palace fan site. I regularly run the, run the uh, match day Twitter there.
2: Hi, I'm because I'm at Koss underscore day 17. Uh, I'm a football writer at Calcio Mercato. I write for Fox Sports Asia as well, and I also write for many football websites, European football websites.
3: Hello, my name is Thomas Nigrian. I write about Liverpool for a Swedish website called lfcsv.se and you can add Thomas Nigrian.
1: Awesome, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, first up, I want to get the kind of final piece on uh, Jose Mourinho. Obviously, we had the Manchester United uh, segment midweek with Joshi, but I just wanted to finish things up um, with kind of a final ensemble uh, piece on what our thoughts were on him being sacked by Manchester United the temporary appointment of solskjaer and kind of the immediate uh repercussion which was their 5-1 win against cardiff
0: yeah i mean i i think i said the last time i was on this show um that i thought that i thought united was sort of on a path to nowhere and mariño and i mean there's only it's kind of only so long you can sort of get away with poor results and kind of creating a toxic atmosphere amongst kind of both players. Um, I mean, kind of seeing him go was quite sad because growing up, Jose was sort of, I don't know, he was kind of my favourite manager in the sense that he backed up all of his really arrogant talk with success. Whereas um, kind of ever since that third sort of catastrophic season at Chelsea, he's kind of been left behind by the likes of Guardiola, mm. um, even Pochettino to an extent. And it's sort of that allure that he had slowly kind of turned into arrogance and bitterness. Um, I mean kind of Solskjaer's appointment I mean a lot of people sort of point to that record that he had at Cardiff I think the fact that he's a club hero means the fans are going to give him time Um, all they really want is to be entertained again Um, it's hardly an untalented squad all I'd really be doing if I was Solskjaer would be kind of going in there putting an arm around the players giving them a bit of TLC and just telling them to enjoy their football again I think that's kind of what you saw was apparent immediately at Cardiff yesterday Um, it was sort of Cogba suddenly looked like the naughty teenager had been grounded and locked in his bedroom for the past two months and was just happy to be back on the grass again. <laughs> um, Luke Shaw was kind of, uh, what they'd signed, every pass was going forward and there was just kind of this general sense of the, of the shackles being off. Um, and I thought there, there was no fear of what might happen if they make a mistake. It just they just looked like they have been told to go out there and enjoy it.
1: Yeah, Cos, very interested to get your view on this. Uh, what, what was your reaction to all of the news that happened at Manchester United this week as, as a supporter?
2: Um, as sad as I feel for Jose Sacking and as much sympathy as I have for him, it's something that just had to be done considering the atmosphere that was there at the club and the way the club was doing because no matter what happens at a club, even if the manager is not to be completely blamed for it, he's the person who has to go because he's probably the middleman of everything that happens at the club and he governs everything about the playing style of a club. and And basically everything that goes around the club goes through the manager. And as much as he never got the support from the board when it was needed the most, especially this past summer, and he could not get the same from the players as well, but a part of his reaction was also rooting from what he had done in the past two seasons. I mean, it's unfair to say that he's outdated and obsolete because the only way football has passed him by is by how players aren't of the mold that Mourinho wants him to be. The Esteban Cambiazos, the Militos, the Decos, the John Terrys, the Drogbas and the Lampards. They, We don't have players like that anymore. They, The players in the modern era are celebrities, larger-than-life characters. Player power has increased to a point where nothing that is said against them goes without criticism. Every time Jose said anything, be it against Pogba, Luke Shaw, Martial, or even against uh, Henry McIntyre, Drew as much criticism as he as as much criticism as the amount of criticism he usually gets when he loses a game. So, and the way this Pogba situation escalated was something that something in which both of them were at equal fault, but no, none of them helped each other out, and they never helped themselves out basically. And it instead of improving, Pogba proved out to be a player who is. Probably defines the way football has is is now becoming. He, instead of improving and working his socks off for the manager, he took a pretty toxic way out, and he this had to happen considering the fact that it was it was not just Pogba who had fallen out with Jose, about half side had fallen out with him, and Mourinho is someone who gives tough love to players to know how tenacious they are mentally. Pogba has proved that he's not mentally tough and sometimes shows in big games as well. And the manner in which Pogba dealt with the criticism that he got, it shows that he may not be the most uh, mentally tough player. And while Mourinho's ways may not be, say, the best in today's era, but they bring the best and the worst out of players mentally. And if you look at Luke Shaw and maybe Martial as well, the way they were treated and the way they came out of the situation shows that they have the mentality to somewhere, maybe five years down the line, be probably the best in the world in their position. But mentally, the the way Pogba behaved showed that he might not really have that tenacity and to maybe be, say, the best midfielder in the world, the thing that Luca Watridge is today. But I just think that it's, it was almost down to how Mourinho's man-management worked and coming to how Solskjaer has been. Um, As soon as uh, I saw footages of, as soon as the United players arrived at the stadium, it probably just gleamed everything. It it was just very clear that the players are so happy under this new manager. And under Jose Mourinho, whenever uh, United used to play football, I'm not saying whichever way they play football, no matter how they played, you could not really sense a sense of happiness or joy in the players. They almost seemed to be shackled by chains. And as soon as um, United started off the game, it was clear that, that the players players were enjoying it. And and, and when Solja talked about giving players freedom and the room for expression, and it became very evident that it has been given. And the I remember watching this uh, movie called United. It's a BBC documentary from I think 2011. Mm-hmm. In that, there's a very important scene in which some Adams we tells his players to to go out and enjoy, just to go out there and express themselves. And I've read many articles, done a lot of research, Since I've written big uh, feature articles about the Busby and uh, the Munich Air disaster. A big part of their philosophy philosophy was to make sure that the players go out there and just enjoy themselves. There was no one set particular playing style of philosophy. The main agenda of playing football was to make sure that the players play like Fifteen-year-olds, making sure that they have as much freedom as they want, do whatever they can, just win the game and express yourself. And I think that will work. And since Sojhar has been the reserve team boss, he has he's got a very good reputation to reputation amongst the current batch of United youth products. Uh, I think he gave Jesse Lingard his debut. He said that in his uh, uh, interview, his first interview as a United manager, he said that. Uh, he gave him his debut when he was 15. Rashid was still coming up to uh, the reserve side, whereas Pogba had already gone up to the first team, but it was playing, say, um, those little odd games here and there for his reserve side. So he has got a very good uh, relation with all of these players, and uh, the way he was hugging the players and the way he was patting them on their backs after the yesterday's 5-1 win, it was very clear that this is the kind of direction that football is heading into, that the time you don't uh, respect your players as much as uh, Solskjaer did or the way um, Pep Guardiola or maybe Klopp and Pochettino do, you can't be a successful manager these days.
3: Uh, Yeah, uh, as a a Liverpool supporter, uh, I have to say I was very sad to see Mourinho go, but uh, I guess that uh, in the end it was a no-brainer. I'm a bit surprised that he lasted this long since uh, you could see already during the summer tour in America that he was becoming more of a Problem for United than a manager. Uh, as a Liverpool supporter, I've enjo- I have uh, enjoyed this time at United a lot, especially the past 12 months. They have been playing worse and worse, and uh, many players have underperformed for quite a long time. And um, the performance at Anfield uh, last weekend was uh, not very impressive at all. They approached the game in the same way as you could see the team from the relegation zone do, and uh, when the game was over, it didn't feel like we had beaten Manchester United. It was a strange feeling to, to not be as happy as you should be when you play Manchester United. So uh, something needed to be done. And uh, I have to say that I think the appointment of uh, Solskjaer was uh, a, bit surpri- a bit of a surprise for me. And I think it was partly made to please the supporters <coughs> because uh, I not See anything in here uh, that fits to a top Premier League club, but uh, maybe he's the kind of manager who will get the fans behind the team again. And um, coming from Molde to Manchester United should be a step way too big to take. And uh, it's interesting to see that Manchester United is making an appointment that seems like it's almost made out of the player's uh, playing career rather than the coach career. Uh, maybe the coach uh, Mike Philan, Fee- who is would be as a system compensator lack of experience from this type, uh, kind of level. Uh, the win against Cardiff was impressive, and I'm sure we'll see a better Manchester United in the second part of the season. They have great players, and now that Mourinho isn't holding them back, they will probably enjoy their time on the pitch a bit more. Uh, I think that the performance against Cardiff was more the effect of not being a Mourinho team than being a Solskjaer team. But uh, it will be very interesting to see where they go from here. And, uh, well... I'm not very convinced by them uh, signing Surkhad as the interim manager, but uh, maybe they just needed some some uh, another kind of person than Mourinho as a coach. And Solskjaer is a positive guy who knows Manchester United, so I think that can be enough to take them at least to place six.
1: Yeah, we'll obviously see as that that develops. I don't think any of us are expecting them to. to- I don't think any of us are expecting them to be as bad as they were under Jose yeah. at the final stages there, or as good as they were under Solskjaer against Cardiff. Um, but certainly, it, it seems the player's spirits have lifted, as uh, many of you pointed out there. Um, next up, I wanted to talk a little bit about the winter break, because this is, of course, the last season that there's not one of any sort uh, in English football. Next year, it's going to be a little interesting. They're basically going to split one match week over two weekends, so five matches will be one week five will be the following just curious to, to hear your thoughts on that did you think that that was needed and are you going to miss the current format and the kind of craziness that tends to happen over these winter fixtures
0: i mean i, I kind of remember thinking um during last year's festive periods probably probably after sort of a fairly uninspiring palace game that it that it might be time for change um, I mean, there's there's no doubt that this time of year kind of creates more fatigue, more injuries. And as a result, kind of d- despite the sheer quantity of it, um, poor of football. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a correlation there, but at the same time, it's kind of all we've ever we've ever really known in this country. And that sort of feast of football is something that we've always associated with this time of year. Um I'm not sure they were ever actually going to introduce a break over the festive period because that's kind of how they structured one of the broadcast rights packages this year to tempt Amazon into making a bid. So Obviously, Amazon kind of having all of the Boxing Day fixtures from next year is kind of going to be quite a big driver for their prime business in the build to Christmas with subscriptions and whatever else. Um, so I think, I think that what they've ultimately done is quite a good compromise that will work quite well for everyone. So, I mean, we still get our festive fix of football, um, the players get a two-week rest in February, um, and with the game week being split over two weekends, we weren't going kind to of be left with that one weekend without any football whatsoever. Um, I mean, I suppose the only issue that might arise out of that is if the clubs take it or we'll see it as kind of an opportunity to do some sort of commercial tour, which would, I guess, be the point.
1: Yeah, I do think yeah. that the uh, FA said that they included a clause that was going to prevent clubs from doing that, but as we've seen... Uh sometimes things like that don't necessarily keep clubs from doing what they want. Cos, uh, what did you make of this?
2: Um, I just think that um, not having a winter break sometimes held the English football back from doing much better than they actually could. Because a lot of times, uh, be it the English national side or uh, the sides that have that gone on to play maybe the quarterfinals or round of 16 or semi-finals of the Champions League, they look physically and mentally slightly more tired than um, the, say, the Spanish sides or the German sides or the Italian sides, although there are certain reasons for why they are for being, say, Spanish and German sides have more of a tactical identity to the side, but now that's changed because uh, England now have uh, better, tactically better sides, better functioning sides. But I just think that uh, th- this uh, winter break in 2020 will be when the season starts off again, it'll almost be like a new season that's starting off. When earlier it used to be like the players were way too tired to, especially Arsenal. I think Arsenal were always uh, struggling with injuries during that time when the season starts wearing on. During the time when we currently are around Christmas time, Arsenal had a lot of muscle injuries to their players, and that. Really affected their season, and they probably are. They probably are a classic example of it. And one and another thing that I would like to point out is this again shows uh, how football is again becoming about a thing for players and how much the player power has increased in football. Because uh, and player apart from player power, player power, um, commercialism in football has also increased. As Sam pointed out, that Amazon. Um deal that the Premier League have struck. Um, twenty years ago, the Premier League will never have thought about this because the players no one really cared about say how the players were. It was all about the fans and football was meant to be a game for the fans, and the so fans probably meant everything to them. And these days, uh, the players have taken up a position where it's everything about football seems player oriented be sacking of managers or how the game is played and whenever they want transfers, they can get them very easily these days. It's not like 15 years ago when clubs could tell them, then you are not bigger than the club and you have to stay here. If the manager and, and the director wants you to stay, you just have to stay there. And now the, nowadays the game has changed. It is, I don't know if it's evolved for the better or for worse, but it has evolved to a point where the players, the people really do care about the players and how they are.
3: Uh, well, um- Personally, I don't think we'll see a winter break, but um, it's smart of the the Premier League to make the time around Christmas a bit lighter for the players because it's, been, it's very hectic this time of year. And uh, right now I'm glad that we're out of the first cup so that we get a few, more, a few days more rest than the Spurs and Manchester City in the title fight. And uh, I think the broadcasting companies and the advertisers uh, like to have these games as well because it's... Uh, it's a lot of football on TV now, and uh, that's good for them, of course. And uh, personally, living in Sweden in wintertime isn't uh, well, it's not the funniest time of the year since it's cold, it's dark, <laughs> snowy. So uh, Premier League makes this, this time of year a bit easier to cope with. So personally, I really hope that they will keep on playing a lot during the uh, winter time in December and January. I love this part of the season. There's always a game on TV and it's uh, still a time where every every team has something important to play for. In the end of the season, there are so many games that the teams just go out and play to get, get it done. Now you can see that every game is important and that's very fun. So I don't want to see a winter break. I don't think we'll see a winter break. But uh, of course, when you see a lot of injuries this time of year, you have to consider it uh, from a player's point of view because... We have seen in our, um, in our defense, we have got, gotten three injuries in just the past week. And um, that's, of course, mainly because of the hard schedule for the players. So as a player, I, could, uh, I can understand if they, want to, if they want to get a rest. But as a supporter, I really hope that they keep on playing a lot of games in December and January.
1: Yeah, I think the other part of this is uh, the continued reduction of, like, of FA Cup replays, um, but we'll continue to see all of this progress. But I do think it's it's a positive move um, to just split one week without there being a full stoppage, as Thomas was saying, because uh, I think the fans may revolt, although, as Cause said, maybe it shouldn't be about the fans, but uh, that's what we all are, so <laughs> there's always going to be a little <laughs> bit of bias there. Uh, speaking of bias, let's wrap up talking about Tottenham. They, of course... Uh-huh. Uh, go out and win 6-2 today against Everton who just a few weeks ago we said had the best chance of breaking into the top four uh, although they certainly have not covered themselves in glory since but that win by Tottenham and of course uh, City's loss to Sam's Crystal Palace which of course we'll touch on in a bit Um, means Tottenham are now just two points behind Manchester City for a second place just six behind Liverpool and first pretty much since the preseason this was billed as kind of a two-horse race is it time to start considering uh, Tottenham a third
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to argue against Spurs when you kind of, when you see them picking teams apart, like they have Everton today, Arsenal in the week, Chelsea a few weeks ago, and then even kind of Barca at the new Camp to an extent with the chances they created there. But um, that's what I'm going to try and do here. Um, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that Spurs are kind of great to watch, but like the Premier League or the top six, at least, it does seem to be stronger than it ever has been. Um, So I think it kind of requires something close to perfection to Mount a title challenge. I mean, you look at city now who have won 14 of their 18 games. They've only lost two um, drawn the other two and um, they're still four points off the top. And I'd imagine their points total at this stage of any other season would have been enough for them to be clear by, I don't know, three or four points. Um, So for Spurs, I kind of feel like it might just be a step too far. They're relying on two teams above them slipping up, which Liverpool haven't done once yet this season. And um, I think I'm right in saying that you've also got to go to Stamford Bridge, the Etihad, and Anfield. Um, I mean, it's, it's a it's a, it's a really big ask. I mean, you look at you look at their squad depth as well, and unless they kind of add a couple more faces in January, it's probably not quite big enough or built to sustain the title challenge in the same way that City's or Liverpool's is. I mean, you see when um, you see when City mate changes, it tends to be. They tend to have two players for every position. Um, Liverpool more or less the same now, whereas Spurs, you'd feel like if, if Kane was to get injured or Kane Son, and another midfielder at, at, at sort of the same time, you'd, you'd kind of feel, fear a little more for their chances. Um, I mean, having said that, I've no doubt that they'll finish in the top four. Probably they'll be within that top three now. Um, and hopefully, I do hope this is the year when Spurs kind of finally win a cup to silence those who use that stat as a stick to beat Pochettino with.
1: Well, I'd certainly appreciate that. Cause, uh, what do you make of what Pochettino's done at Tottenham before he definitely doesn't leave for United in the summer?
2: <laughs> I think Spurs definitely are title challengers this season. At, at this point last season, I think they were 21 points off City, where, uh, whereas the currently they are just two points off and a third. And I think in the next three games, three or four games, Spurs probably have the most easiest of fixtures, although on paper, football's never played on paper, but... Um, talking about how their fixtures are on paper, Spurs probably have the easiest set of fixtures out there because City uh, City face Liverpool and Liverpool also face Arsenal in there. I think that's um, next week or somewhere, and Spurs play I, I think United on 13th of January or 14th of January. So that's pro- their only big game in the Premier League that's coming up. They obviously play Chelsea in the in the League Cup and but. I just think that uh, in the end, it will come down to how much depth Spurs have. And I think Son is going away for international duty to play in the AFC yes. Asian Cup. He'll, play, what, he'll miss, what, five or six games during that time. And the player that he's grown on to become is sometimes make me, makes me feel that he's better than Eden Hazard. Uh, and one more thing is that, and although they're, uh Depth may not be as much as the likes of City and Liverpool, City especially. But this is one season where Spurs have learned a new way of playing as well. Because there have been a lot of games this season where Spurs have not been as good as they usually are. Or how good they were last season or the season before that. But they've managed to dig games out and they have, they've managed to work hard and dig deep, defend deep and somehow get all three points. And that's one big positive that Pochettino has discovered this season, which was never available to them uh, last season and season before that when they finished second to chelsea and because of that i think they'll be they'll have enough to go past Autumn as well but i think they will finish where they are and the premier league will look like how it is currently apart from city finishing first and liverpool finishing second oh
1: well, i was going to say it seemed very kind to thomas and then you ripped <laughs> it away from him right at the end <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, um, unfortunately, I think Spurs is a bit too good to be ruled out of the race for the title. I read somewhere that uh, they have more home games than uh, both us and City in the second part of the season, and that's, of course, an advantage. Depending on on where that
1: quote-unquote home is.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) On the other hand, you play both us and City away in the second part of the season, and uh, the losses at home uh, can be costly in the end. I often look at Spurs squad and think it looks a bit thin, but uh, during the season, it never feels like that. It always feels like you start 11 great players. Um, Spurs can't afford to get injuries to key players like Harry Kane, but uh, neither do we. If we get an injury at Van Dijk, we we won't win the league. Uh, Spurs are six points behind us now, and that is not much since it's 20 games to play, so they have to be considered a contender. At the start of the season... Spurs won games without being very impressive. <clears throat> now they both play well and win. And that's, uh, of course, a sign of a team that's feeling very well. Uh, Spurs can grind out a win when they need. And when the opponents forget to defend, like Everton did today, uh, they trash them. Not completely unlike Liverpool's season, actually, because we all also started uh, a bit slow, but still got the points. And now we have started to tick and uh, play very well. Uh, there are three very good teams in Premier League this season, and it will be a tough fight. All of them are good enough to win the league, but I still see both us and City as uh, bigger favorites. But none of us can afford can uh, can afford to slip up, because Spurs will end this season with very uh, with a very high scoring points. Uh, we face City at the start of January. I think it's the third, and um, that game will be a chance for Spurs to get closer to us. But they need they need to do the job in the end of December and start of January if they want to have a chance at the title.
2: One more thing I'll just add on is that um, as soon as the season wears on, the rumours about Pochettino probably joining United and stuff like that because they will surely uh, increase as, well, as compared to how much they are currently because... Uh, as whenever you tell the media to shut up about one particular thing, it's pretty impossible to shut them up because the thing that they like doing the most is that since the Spurs uh, press office that told that uh, Sky Sports uh, reported to not talk about United links, uh, the media will talk about it even more now. So as soon as the season wears on, these rumors will only increase and it will be very tough for Pochettino to resist them and that can be a very crucial unsettling factor in Spurs title charge this season
1: it'll be interesting certainly because of the harry rednap uh season that some may remember uh, as soon as yeah. he got linked with england Tottenham's uh, form sunk but i will say a positive early sign is since this started happening have only gone to the Emirates, beaten them in the cup, and then put up six on Everton. So in the immediate term, it's been a pretty solid response to that. But I I see your point. It's surely to continue, whether it could be more than it currently is, I literally cannot fathom. But (laughs) it certainly may continue to, to kind of run in the papers. Although, just to get a quick take on you before we head into the break, is it possible that Solskjaer could do well enough that that could kill it. Because, I mean, with the the match against Cardiff, if, if he goes out and his side w- score three-plus goals every week, surely some within the fan base would, would consider
2: keeping him. I think they can. I mean, he has to go game by game because it's obviously not as easy as we might think sitting here doing a podcast. But it's almost like, He knows what the club has been founded on. As I said, Samad Bursby and Sir Alex usually laid a lot of emphasis on um, making sure that the players go out and express themselves. So I've been saying that he's been receiving a lot of advice from Wayne Rooney recently. And Rooney, surprisingly enough, admitted that he started off with his coaching badges as well. Which probably means that United have done something that Ajax and Barcelona did a long time ago. They created a culture for themselves when a manager who created that culture went away. United have struggled to do that since they appointed David Moyes and then brought in Van Hal and then Mourinho came in. The culture was lost the very day David Moyes was appointed. And bringing someone like Soja who's no who knows what the culture is, he's been there, he's done that, he knows what knows the values of the club and the ethics of the club. He is also getting advice from a lot of players as to how to go about business and and the most uh, important thing is that he's got three or four players in there who know what Solskjaer is. They played under him and they understand him very, very well. They And the bond between them will be very crucial in them because those were probably the players who did not really perform to the very best under Mourinho. And if they really had, United you know, would probably have been very close to the top four as compared to where they are. But It's all down to managing this side and managing the personalities because I think the part about playing well and scoring goals will be pretty much sorted once United start winning games. I think it will be about managing personality, something which Mourinho could never do.
1: All right, now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today.
1: All right, and we are back. We'll start off talking with you, Sam, because while all of us had a pretty good week, uh, yours was probably the most surprising from an external perspective. From an internal one, did you see this kind of performance coming at all, or were you just as surprised as the rest of us?
0: Um, well, let me start by saying that this was Palace's first win at City since 1990. Um, in this current sort of, in this stint that was since uh, we, have since we got promoted, um, the aggregate score between Palace and City at the Etihad was 18-0. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I wasn't really expecting much, um, kind of when, when they went 1-0 one up, one, it sort of, it, very much like the result was a mere formality. It was kind of a question of how many they were going to score rather than if they were going to win. Um, but I think Guardiola even alluded to it in his post-match interview. He said that we essentially scored with our first benches into their half. Um, Schlock's goal was very much out of nothing. And then Townsend scores a tap-in from 30 yards. Um, and I think I think kind of the nature of that goal, sort of coupled with how quickly we turned turn the game on its head, really shell-shocked City. I mean... Pretty used to having it their own way at the Etihad. Um, I can't really remember too many times in the past two seasons where they've had to come back from behind at home under Guardiola. And I think that kind of that sort of three or four minute spell where we scored twice just completely shifted the momentum of the game, and they didn't really know how to respond. And it gave us something to cling on to. And as soon as we kind of, as soon as we established that uh, that two goal lead after the Milivojevic penalty, I think. We actually looked fairly comfortable. We defended really well and it was almost disappointing to concede that second goal and sort of make it nervy for ourselves at the end because we really didn't look too troubled for a lot of the game.
1: Yeah, it really was a, a an incredible performance. Also, knowing that Manchester City had to score so many goals uh, going forward, the fact that you held them to just one was pretty impressive. Just how uh, pleased have you been with your defence both this week and on the season?
0: I mean, yeah. As a whole, it's been it's been really good because obviously we've not been um, we've not been too prolific going forward. Last season, uh, at the back end especially, we seem to be scoring goals for fun with Zaha, Loftus Cheek, Townsend all kind of combining really well. But this season, Benteke has been out injured. Uh, we haven't really got another striker who's been scoring goals. We've been relying on either. And kind of the running joke among the fan bases at the moment is that we either score worldies or we score penalties, and it's better of nothing in between. Um, so we've really kind of relied on our defence to sort of keep us above that relegation zone a lot of the time. Um, they had some they had some shaky moments in the games against Brighton and West Ham recently, where we shipped three easy goals. But other than that, I think Tomkins and Saka were probably the best centre-back pairing we've had in the Premier League. Um I, I've said before that I think Patrick van Aanholt is one of the, probably one of the best left backs outside the top six, and then Wan-Bissaka, I know I mention him every time I'm on this podcast, but um, I think Leroy, Leroy Sane was another one yesterday, he just couldn't figure out a way to go past him, I think watching match the day last night, they they highlighted his performance, it was kind of whatever Sane tries, he sort of, that's some, something that City have always relied on to stretch teams, um, the width that they're able to create, and Sane has um, made fools out of a lot more experience right backs than Wambasaka, but whatever he tried, he couldn't find a way past him. He even sort of started drifting inside at points, and Wambasaka was still kind of sticking to him. Um, so, yeah, I think that back four has been especially important given how poor we've been in front of goal.
1: Yeah, on that last part, there were some media stories run this week linking you with Mishi Batshuai. W- would you invite that or literally anyone else that can play striker in January?
0: Uh, yes, um, I think another one that's been linked is Solanke from Liverpool. I mean, at this point, both of those, I think both of those guys would make a difference at Palace because at the moment we've been relying so heavily on Zaha and Tamzine that it's kind of become a hindrance to them both. Um, Odegaard from Swansea just simply hasn't cut it; it's just not worked out. Um, he's sort of become an object of ridicule among the fan base already. And then Alex Sorlot, who we scored in the last window. Who we signed in the last window, sorry, um, still hasn't scored for us in the Premier League, so it's quite clear that he's not quite ready. Um, even if it was, even if it alleviated the pressure of Zahar and Townsend, Benteke coming back, it could be someone to play alongside him, and it could potentially give him a little bit more competition and inspire a change in his form. Um, so yeah, I think either Bashwey or Solanke or anybody else out there who could score two or three goals would be really welcome in January.
1: Cool. Uh, coming to you now, because let's talk a little bit more about Manchester United, um, <laughs> something that we certainly have not, not already done, um, but curious to hear your thoughts on the players that may most uh, improve under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We mentioned in the midweek uh, update that we did. But it seemed like a lot of the players that came to United under Mourinho kind of stagnated and stopped their development yeah. um, under him. Uh, do you think that we'll kind of see maybe a kickstarting to, to especially some of the younger players' development under Solskjaer?
2: Yeah, I think so. Because I recently wrote this piece at strategy News about um, the tactics that Solskjaer employed at uh, Molde. And I discovered that there was this player called um, Erling Haaland. So... He is currently an 18-year-old player who plays uh, for Molde. And he, I think, played for maybe a second division side in Norway. And he was a free agent at a point. I think this was last summer or somewhere. So he was a free agent. Hoffenheim rejected him. And he had a trial at Hoffenheim. And Hoffenheim rejected him. But Solskjaer was brave enough to sign him up. And currently, he's one of the best strikers in Norway. He's 18, and he, I think, scored some 16 or 17 goals this season in the Norwegian League. And one interesting thing is that many people say that wherever Solskjaer has been, he's really improved improved the strikers that uh, the team has, be it uh, Harland or even at the reserve side. He improved Danny Welbeck a lot. There's a video that went viral of him showing Danny Welbeck how to I know what that was. What he, what exactly he was instructing Welbeck to do, but um, the forward players will benefit a lot from him because not just because of the kind of manager he is, and how he has benefited forward forward players, also because under Mourinho the system was almost like if they sit too deep, they don't have anyone else apart from Pogba to carry the ball up front. They didn't really have a ball carried from midfield, someone who could take the ball forward and hand them over to the likes of Rashford, Martial and Lingard or uh, Marta whenever whenever they play, because they aren't really players who will drop deep and then have enough work rate and work ethic in themselves to carry it forward as much as Pogba can from the center of the park to the forward three. So I think uh, players like Lingard, Martial and Rashford, these three will soon um, make up the spine of the United attack. uh, And especially because... uh, Lingard and Rashford already know him pretty well. So does Pogba.
1: Yeah, once all those players get going again, uh, United could become pretty feared again in the Premier League. Um, What are your expectations for the rest of the season uh, now that things have settled down a little bit in in terms of the short-term future?
2: I just think that, as we previously said, that it can't get worse than how it was in the Jose And... I think we're currently eight points off the top four. We just have to go game by game and just keep playing as well as we can because I think we have Huddersfield next and followed by Bournemouth at home. And these are fixtures that we should pretty easily win being Manchester United and, and how good we were against Cardiff. We should probably get all three points from this. And then I think we've got Spurs and Newcastle as well after that. Spurs will be pretty tough because that's at Wembley and I don't think we'll win that one because because they're basically Spurs and beating them at Wembley is a completely different ballgame as compared to beating them at home and we could not really beat them at home as well. We lost 3-0. And I think we just the keys to go game by game, not expect too much. I'm just expecting Solskjaer to give some of our young players a debut. Maybe like some like Mason Greenwood and James Garner and maybe give Angel Gomez a shot at the first team that he deserves. Yeah,
1: maybe Pereira as well. Is he still there or was he sent out on loan?
0: Yeah, he
2: he came on to play, I think, 15 minutes yesterday. Okay, yeah. Played on that, not in the midfield.
1: Because if you started to play him a little bit more regularly, maybe the stories about him potentially looking for a way out of the club uh, would simmer down as well. Also, it should be noted that you said you're just eight points out of the top four, but everybody's written you off. But we just had a conversation about if Tottenham were in a title race six points off. It's only two two points difference between the two conversations, so just something worth uh, bearing in mind. Um, Coming to you now, Thomas, uh, talking about Liverpool, uh, we mentioned earlier with uh, Tottenham and if they're really contenders, and an injury to Harry Kane potentially derailing the season. But I want to talk about Liverpool's forward because Roberto Firmino, two years ago, when he first started playing regularly up front, um, was doing a lot of the dirty work, but he wasn't really getting a lot of the counting numbers. Uh, Then last season, obviously, has a very good season on both counts. This year, again, kind of the the goals and assists not really coming his way. Uh, So just curious to hear your thoughts on him as a forward, if maybe you want to bring in maybe a change of pace forward option for when he's not really firing, or if you think he does enough uh, positionally
3: that it doesn't really matter when he doesn't find the back of the net. Well, um, I think the new role that we use him in is very interesting because as you say, he doesn't score as many goals as he did last season, and uh, he hasn't made too many assists either, but uh, he's very important in the link-up play between the midfield and uh, especially to Mohamed Salah. Uh, so, um, I really, really like Firmino as a player, and uh, in the past three or four games, I've been very impressed with the way that he uh, gets the ball back into the, into the team, and the way he comes back to help the defence, and uh, Against Manchester United, I think he won the ball from both Matic and Herrera three or four times. Uh, so he is important to, the, to um, our attack, very important. And, and even, though he, even though he doesn't score as many goals as he did last season, I wouldn't change him for uh, any striker. Um, in another way, we use, uh, we use, Mohamed, we use Mohamed Salah in a more central role. Now than we did last season when Firmino played in the, central part of, in the central part of the field. And I wasn't very impressed with that from at the start. But now Mohamed Salah has been looking better and better. And he's scoring almost every game again. And it's interesting to see that almost every goal that Salah scores now is the game-winning goal. It's never the 4-0 goal. It's the 1-0. And that underlines just how important he is for us. And um, he's getting more used to his new position, and now he looks very comfortable. Uh, I think that Firmino will uh, be even better in his new role in the second part of the season, when he can, um, maybe he can get the ball a bit higher up in the field than uh, than now. But um, I think that we're using him in the right way now. Um, we are, we are a, have a more uh, solid team than last season, and uh, now Firmino is more like both of a striker and a midfielder, so we can use... Everything that he's good at in a different way than last season.
1: Okay, and then at the back, um, you're dealing with plenty of injuries with both Gomez and Matip both out through at least some part of January. Um, Alexander-Arnold, I believe, also didn't play at the weekend. Uh, Are you confident that you still have the pieces to kind of keep up the current pace you are at the back? Obviously, the attack's still as good as it was last year, but the big jump for you being in defense.
3: Uh, well, um, as long as uh, Virgil Dijk is fit, I'm not worried about our defense at all. He's extremely instrumental to the way that we defend now, and it doesn't really matter who plays next to him. Uh, Matip, before he got injured, looked like the world defender that he and he has been. He was great in the games that he played, and then he got injured. Lovren got in, and now he plays very good. So. Van Dijk is a leader, he's an extraordinary defender, and he could cope with the speed from Traore uh, against um, against Wolves this Friday. And uh, as always, he was strong in the air. So as long as Van Dijk is fit, I think that we can uh, cope at the back as well. Of course, it would be a, a bit of a trouble if we got one more injury at the back, because now we only have Lovren and Van Dijk fit. And to the right, we use uh, James Milner, And, um, of course, an injury to Andrew Robertson would see us play with uh, Alberto Moriendi to the left. And I'm not sure that Van Dijk can make a miracle from him. But um, as long as Van Dijk is fit, I think that we will keep on uh, having some clean sheets. So um, let's just hope that he won't get an injury during this Christmas time.
1: All right, now let's move on into player watch where as we're heading into January not too far off, uh, curious to get your guys' thoughts on what positions or players in particular you think your club could really use to kind of bolster you for the second half of the season.
0: Yeah, no, I know I've already alluded to, I guess, up front, the uh, striker is probably the area which most of the fans want to see someone bought in. Um Other than that, though, I'd probably I think we've been we've been linked with Victor Moses from Chelsea, um, which would probably go down quite well. But I'm not entirely sure myself. We've kind of uh, one of the problems with Palace's transfer policy since we've come up is we've kind of strangled ourselves by signing these really uh, well-established Premier League players on high wages, which has kind of got us into trouble from a financial fair play perspective. Or not necessarily got us into trouble, but it's kind of tied our hands in terms of what we can do in future windows. Um, I mean, Moses is another one of those who's kind of been in the Premier League for about six or seven years now. Um, He's he's likely to be on quite a high wage at Chelsea. Um, Having said that, it will obviously provide another option in that wide area. I mean, there's always kind of, whenever Zaha or Townsend gets injured, there's quite an apparent lack of depth for someone to come in and replace them. Uh, So that's that's one person I think we could look at signing. I also think we probably ought to look to strengthen the midfield. Um, Milivojevic has been kind of carrying us there quite a lot this season. Koyate came in from West Ham, has done quite well. Um, Max Meyer is being utilised in, in the wide areas. Um, so that's kind of another position that you worry about if Luka Milivojevic or Koyarte were risk get injured. So I think that's that's another position where we need to buff up.
1: Yeah, cause curious to hear your thoughts uh, as uh, Solskjaer said himself that he might be able to have a little bit of a hand in trades for policy in January.
2: I just think that our priorities are pretty much similar to how they were uh, uh, this summer because we could not sign a centre-back and we still need a centre-back because uh, one part of our side that's the weakest is the defence. We do have uh, Victor Lindelof, Phil Jones-Smalling and Marcus Rojo coming back slowly as well, but None of those centre-backs in there, apart from Lindelof and Bay as well, are capable enough for playing for a side that wants to challenge for the top four and maybe wants to go on and then challenge for the title. A lot of names are being linked out there, like Sof Nikola Milenkovic from Fiorentina and Khalido Koulibaly from Napoli as well. But I think we'll probably get Milenkovic and I don't know whether to be happy or sad with it because... It's come to a point where we already have two centre backs who are already who already are in that bracket of being are the up and coming best centre backs in the Premier League in Bai and Lindelof. I don't want another centre back who is up and coming. I watch a lot of Milinkovic in the Syria because I have to watch a lot of it, but he is not com- exactly the finished article of a centre back that we need. I'll just want someone like Kulibali or maybe. Costas Manolas from Roma because he is someone who is being linked with the United today since he's just changed his agent. His new agent is the great uh, Mino Raiola. So that probably on its own stirs up a link with United. And apart from that, I think the right wing position will also be a priority. But I don't think we will get a right winger because it's very tough to sign players of that quality in January. We were being linked with Douglas Costa earlier today. But... Uh, as far as I know, those links are pretty much fake, and that's not going to happen this January.
1: Interesting stuff for sure. And uh, Thomas, you think we're going to see anything from Liverpool?
3: Well, uh, I don't think we will see any new signings, and I would actually prefer it if we didn't sign anyone, because I believe in this group of players, and um, I don't want to have new players coming in to change things at the team. Uh, maybe we could do with a backup player in the defence, but... In January, we will have three injured players coming back in the squad and then we'll be fine. So uh, maybe a lone move for a defender would be uh, smart for January. But in the long run, I think we'll use the players we have in the squad now. Uh, Perhaps an option uh, at the left back behind uh, Andrew Robertson would be a a choice. But um, we have to remember that Andrew Robertson needs a few months to adapt to our style and be ready to play. And if we sign a new player, it will probably be the same for him. So then it's probably better to use Alberto Mariano as uh, a backup and hope that Robertson stays fit for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't really see a place in the squad right now where we have to sign players. And um, since the squad has done it so well this far of the season, I think they will will do a great second half as well. So I don't think we'll see any new signings and I uh, hope we don't do any signings. And I have to add that uh, If Crystal Palace wants to loan Dominic Solan from us, they really deserve to get a loan cheap after what they did for us this weekend. (laughs) thank you very
0: much to take you up on that for sure yeah Yeah, just give him salah Uh,
1: you know i (laughs) Um, I think we might need him ourselves (laughs) okay yeah i i guess if if you're into that kind of thing um all right we'll wrap up uh by going through match previews obviously very short turnaround time here uh, as boxing day uh looms so we'll start with you sam uh crystal palace playing cardiff Oftentimes, you know, a club can can suffer a little bit of a letdown after such a big win. But I'm assuming that you'd hope for a win against uh, Cardiff, who, of course, are more relegation candidates than competitors with yourself.
0: You would, yeah. But I mean, it would be it would be peak Palace if we went and lost this one after <laughs> after beating City. Um, I mean, we, like as I say, you can you never really say anything for granted as a Palace fan. Um, I, I don't think I've ever gone to a game expecting to win. Um, but I think most people kind of will arrive at Towers Park on Boxing Day feeling fairly galvanised from what happened on Saturday and will expect us to beat Cardiff, especially as, um, as they haven't won away this season, I think I'm right in saying. But, um, but Neil Warnock's a fairly wily old character. Um, he's had two stints at Palace and often comes back to haunt us whenever we face one of his one of his one one of of the teams that he's managed since. So, yeah, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be too surprised if Cardiff turned up and sprung a surprise but I think yeah we'll be, it'll be it'll be a game that will we'll be hoping to get three points from even he, he, he did he did actually say after the city game that uh this sort of bonus three points is is meaningless if we don't be, go and beat Cardiff so I don't expect us to be at it on boxing day again
1: yep that all sounds good uh then Thomas Liverpool are going to be playing Newcastle a little uh homecoming there for Rafa Benitez uh I assume you're expecting that you'll continue this hot winning streak
3: well, of course, uh, Newcastle at home is a game that we have to win, even though it's never easy to play a team that's coached by Benitez. We know that we will face uh, low-playing Newcastle. We'll try to defend for, for the game to be scoreless. And uh, I think that uh, Klopp will rest a few of our attacking players in this game because we face Arsenal a few days after this one, and then it's City away. So uh, we'll probably see both uh, Shakiri and Sturridge start up front. And maybe both uh, Firmino and Mané can get a rest. Uh, So if we score first, I'm quite sure that it will be a comfortable win. But as long as the game is uh, nil-nil, it will be a bit nervous. Uh, I don't think that Newcastle will uh, create as many uh, goal-scoring opportunities. So it's up to us to just to start scoring. And if uh, we score first, we will win this one. But uh, as I said, Rafa Benitez is... A tough manager to play and he's uh, great at getting results against uh, better teams at least he was that when he coached our team so hopefully he also wants liverpool to win the title so uh, maybe he can uh, give us three points in this game
1: <laughs> all right and then cause will come to you uh, to wrap up these match previews uh you're going to be hosting Huddersfield, a second consecutive easy start for uh uh, Solskjaer there in the manager's chair. Are you, you expecting another three points?
2: Yeah, I am. Um, I think it's probably going to be a bit like the Cardiff game because playing Cardiff away is pretty much similar to playing Huddersfield at home. And I just want likes of Mata and Fred to start this game because Fred did come on but he didn't play a lot last uh, last night and Mata did not start and he was on the bench and I just want these two to start and maybe Solskjaer to uh, realize that they are very much good enough to play in that system because against Cardiff, I um, just thought that Herrera's uh, inability to move around as freely as Fred can was probably making us a little slower than we should be. Although, as soon as the ball went uh, towards our front four, the pace of the uh, play got got pretty fast. But I just think that if if, uh, Fred plays in place of Herrera in that position, I think we might just be a little better than we were. And I think it's just one of those games in which um, in which a side is already one nil down mentally because of the occasion that's there. So managing I'm his first game at Old Trafford, and that'll be the occasion of it will just way harder to feel down.
1: All right, that'll do it for us today. So if you guys would like to tell folks anything mm-hmm. you're working on or where they could reach you, now would be a good time.
0: Thanks for having me on again, Kev. Uh, guys, you can find me at Sam double underscore Carp on Twitter, or you can find some of my work on the Eagles Beak, which is a Crystal Palace fan site.
2: I am at uh, cost underscore Panda seventeen. I write for Calcio Mercato, uh, Fox Sports Asia, and many other websites. I'm currently working on. Uh, a long-form historical piece about this Indian footballer called Sunil Chetri. I'll probably be interviewing him, and maybe next month or somewhere.
3: And my name is Thomas Nygren. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Thomas Nygren. I also write about Liverpool at uh, LFCsv.se. It's a page mostly in Swedish, but some of our articles are in uh, English. Uh, I'm also a regular at the Total Liverpool podcast. It's also in Swedish, but. Um, that's where you can find me. So thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find my uh, writings on fantasy football at ESPN and at Goal.com. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Uh, Also, we have a championship show on this very channel. Uh, If you're interested in that, feel free to check that out as well. Uh, We do still, in theory, have a fantasy show uh, here, but it's probably not going to get going again until January. We apologize for the absence of that but hopefully we'll get that going again relatively soonish as well Uh, thanks to all of you guys for joining us again happy holidays to you and everybody at home and we hope you keep listening
4: selling a little or a lot